Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1942, in the cold desert of a small border town of Texas, a group of kind are kidnapped and mass embraced by members of the fanatical sect, the Sabbat. Out of this group, only a handful survived, and through rituals and mentorship, they became the pack known as the Pale Riders. Representing the Sword of Cain, they are wielded by a mentor to cut deep wounds within the heartland of Mexico to the enemies of the Sabbat. Wars on Fire is a vampire the masquerade Sabbat chronicle that follows the Pale Riders pack that consists of Mitch, a Lazampa played by Adam, Coyote, a Ravenous anti-tribute played by Alex, Eldrick, a Caitiff played by David, Jasper, a Bruja anti-tribute played by Joaquin, Cora, a Shimizi played by Slavic, and Richard, a Venture anti-tribute played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Before you guys were embraced, we're, we're going to kind of go uh, down the line we're with you three. Uh, I'll cover Quinn's later. Uh, well, I'll actually even say it here. But for Mitchell, for yours, you were actually, it was an evening on your ranch. You're sitting outside, looking at the endless stars, waiting for Father Time to come and catch up to you, to tap you on the shoulder. As always, that bastard wasn't around. But you do think you heard a noise coming from by your shed, uh, which had you leading to wonder if it was like, uh, you know, coyotes again or something to that extent, which always kind of gave you a, a pleasure being able to grab your whatever your shotgun or your 22 that you had, you know, for such small matters to go over there and take out some of your frustration on them. As you all walk around to the shed and think you hear a noise, you don't see anything until when you turn around to turn back around, you see a shovel coming at you and smacks you right in the front of your face there. Cora, you're, you're out there, you know, sitting in your kitchen, sitting at this table, looking at the peeling lime green wallpaper and the shack that, you know, this little house slash shack that you have on this ranch, staring at this cup of coffee that you reheated a couple times on your oven, just thinking about how you're alone right now and how you actually would rather have been alone 40-some years ago when you married that deadbeat asshole, alcoholic of a husband you had who get, kind of gave you the two worthless kids, except for your one baby who was taken from you unjustly. And you're just sitting there staring into this coffee with a cigarette and an ashtray with the smoke lifting up into the air, you kind of hear a tapping on your window, like a little tap, 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 like someone's throwing pebbles at it. You go out, you know, you go to your kitchen to the sink and you look out and you don't see anything out there. You just kind of see the barbed wire that marks off the ranch there where you kind of have some livestock, but nothing to the effect of like, like a, a man in a younger age with a full family could take care of, but enough to keep you busy. You go sit back down at your coffee, take a drag of your cigarette, with your hands slightly shaking due to old age, and you hear the tapping again. As you go to look out this window, and this window is probably about two feet by three feet, and it's right outside, you know, right above your sink. You go look out again, and as you put your face closer to the window, two hands burst through and grab you and violently drag you through uh, this shattered window, cutting your flesh, cutting your, you know, your face, causing an amount of pain. You even get stuck a little bit due to the girth that you've kind of picked up over uh, a lot of it still kind of being muscle there. And finally, you're dragged where it even kind of takes the frame of the pit, of the window out while you're yanked 
you fall on the ground and as you look up, you see a dark form above you and a shovel coming down and smacking you upside your head. Next, we'll go to you, Eldrick. You have made contacts, some with some late, less than savory folks, trying to talk to what you think could be something that can share eternal life with you and remove this plague and cancer that struck your body. At this point, you know, you don't care what risks or how unsafe the situation may seem because you frankly don't give a damn because it's either this or death. Yeah, it doesn't so have either the time. way. Yeah, he doesn't have the time. So uh you drive to this small shit fucking cowboy hick town in Texas, the name that you can't even really remember. You just kinda have your driver there take you there. And you come about and you drive through this sign where it says like population two thousand. You come across this fucking shit kicker bar where you could kind of hear some rumbling from inside and you get, and you're told to kind of wait in the parking lot for someone to find you. As you're standing there, you're standing outside, uh, your driver who's, uh, you know, in one of the, at the time, kind of a, a fashionable automobile that a lot of people actually don't have is sitting there. You're standing out there desperate, but yet starting to get angry because you, you're not, you're not seeing anyone. They're waiting for you. You're wondering if this was again another letdown until you hear screaming from within the car. As you turn and you look inside the car, you can't see what is going on. You see blood that's splattering against the windshield from your driver that makes it hard to, to make out at all what's going on in there. But you hear the car shaking and you hear it screaming. You're kind of obviously taken aback. And as you turn around to run off, boom, you get hit in the face with the shovel that knocks you unconscious there at that moment. All right, so you guys each awaken on your knees with your hands bound behind your back. As you regain your consciousness, you're kind of leaning over your knees and you realize you're staring at sand and a desert, uh, a desert ground. You smell like the ragweed in the air and you smell the dust. Uh, you start realizing it's night out, but it's hard to determine it's night because of all the sand that's being kicked around. And as you kind of like look up and kind of lift your heads up and look around, you realize that there's a crowd of people around you. You can't make out how many. You just realize that you're able to even make out that there's people because of light that's coming from behind you, either from that of an automobile, some automobiles, but you also smell the, the, the smell of burning dry wood. And you can hear the crackle of, of a rather large fire that seems to be going on behind you. So you can kind of make out what's going on with these people. You hear a mixture of Spanish and English and and really you're kind of shaking at this point you can't like uh, you're having a hard time focus obviously due to being shoveled in the face but you hear uh laughter coming some of it sounds in a way and you don't know if it's just garbled because you might be slightly concussed but it sounds almost animalistic some of the laughter but you also start hearing uh screaming crying and begging and as you're really starting to you start getting a sense of danger and, and you start having clarity you're, you're yanked up from the back of your head, from the hair, or from, if you don't have hair, you know, a forehead comes up upon your forehead and yanks you back to where your neck's exposed, and you feel pain as fangs come down upon your neck. And at first, again, you start panicking, but then you're overcame uh, by a sense of uh, pleasure. As a sense of pleasure goes on, you're sitting there and you're kind of falling in, in inside your head and you're, you're zo everything's zoning out around you and you just start focusing. You start hearing like the, the pumping of your heart and it's like with each pump and beat of your heart, another wave of pleasure is overtaken you. And it's almost like 
when someone who's a crack addict and says like the, there was nothing like the first time they took a hit of crack, it slowly starts becoming like that because as your heart rate slows down and down, that pleasure starts disappearing and you start yearning for it more and yearning for it more until the point where all that blackness just disappears and you're brought back into reality, but your face is in the dirt and you feel very, very, that you have a very loose grasp on life. Mitchell, you yourself at this moment almost is experiencing a sense of joy because you finally feel like this is what you've been wanting the whole time. This feeling that, that you're finally about to let this mortal coil go, this mortal coil go and be over with all this shit that you've dealt with, all the crap that you've seen, the loneliness that you dealt with sitting on that goddamn porch for as long as you've been sitting on there. David, you feel your character Eldrick feels a sense of disappointment and almost like an anger, like that willpower that's, that's kept him alive for so long is like not wanting to let that grip go. Like you're pissed off now because you're like, this is not what you signed up for. This is not the bargain that you had. And, and you Cora at the time are actually kind of not even feeling anything at the moment. You just know that like you're down to your primal basic, like just you either can let go or you can either die. As your face is in this dirt and you can feel the grit of the sand, you feel your guys' self getting lifted up. Now, at first you think it's your spirit almost like leaving your body or it's almost like like you should be seeing a light soon. But then you slowly realize that you're being thrown. And when I say you're being thrown, it's not like you're sitting like, we or feel anything, but you feel like yourself being uplifted and then you feel yourself falling. And as you guys are falling, you land and you feel like almost like for a quick second, you feel alive, like, like, like fully alive again because you feel a sharp pain. And as you're sitting there, just want, waiting for it to be all done, you kind of realize there's people under you. And you, Cora, you open your eyes a little bit and you look and you see someone exactly right underneath you. And they're, and they're looking up at you. And, and you can kind of see that their pupils dilated and you have no idea what to think. You guys eventually try the natural instinct to look up and you see, all you see is figures, a silhouette. You can't make out any of their features. You just see their shadows. You see the light that's coming across them and you hear laughing and you just hear like this, this monstrous, just laughing or, 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 or just like high pitched women laugh, like of, of insanity coming, just all this mixed together until finally you start feeling wetness. And there's that one moment where Eldrick feels like a drop that hits his face, like in between his eyes, and then his nose, almost like it's rain. And then a, 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 a drop of it touches your lip. And at that drop that touches your lip and as it infuses itself in your gums and on your tongue, because your mouth is slightly open, that willpower and that drive that you feel, all of a sudden it's like if someone took a gasoline and threw it on a fire. And you realize that this that was hitting your mouth and that was hitting your lips was what you would need to survive. So you desperately start gulping. And the same happens to you, Cora. As you're standing here looking at this person's eyes and you're trying to look up from the side of your head, a drop hits the side of your cheek and slowly makes it down. And then some more actually starts cascading. And you feel a drop of it touch your lip and you realize that this is what's going to take you out of this, out of, of dying practically. But Mitch, you're, you're, you're more... You're, you're, you're kind of torn when this happens to you because you want to let go, but you're starting to feel like this right here is making you feel how you were before you kind of gave up on life. Am I making sense here? You know, you know how you're kind of wait for death to come and challenge you. But this is before that. This is before when you were like fighting on the border or when you were in World War One or when you were out there like feeling that adrenaline rush, it kind of hit you. 
And so all three of you, including the obviously the other two players and others that are in this pit, start find, trying to feel this, trying to get more of this that, that has a coppery taste. And soon some of you may even start realizing this tastes almost like blood or when I bit my lip or, or, or whenever I like cut my finger and I taste upon it. But it's different in a way too. As you guys are getting more of this in you, though, you feel something at first with Dave with, is with this drive to live, and, and, and it's the same with you, Mitchell, and Cora, but you almost feel like fawn, and you almost feel like you're losing control of yourself. Like, like you start feeling your heartbeat, like, die off, but you start feeling like yourself, like, when that heartbeat dies off, and you feel like it should, like it should start beating again, and it doesn't, then you feel like something overtake you at this moment. You feel like almost started to feel like an animal. And the first person who, who realizes it is this you, Cora. You're standing down there. You're, you're down there looking still at this person's eyes. You look back at them and you see them trying to lap up some blood, even though there's bodies that you're on top of them. But at that moment, you latch onto his neck and you just start draining the last that is in him. And you and you too, Mitchell and Eldrick, start doing this too. You start grabbing whoever you can that may have came up on top of you because bodies were thrown on top of you or those underneath you. But you desperately just start drawing and sinking your fangs into whatever you can to get as little bit more of this out of you. And as you're doing this and you lose track of time as this goes on, you hear a voice like just booming from above you. And it, and it screams to you, climb out, children of Cain, climb out. It's time to raise your swords. And as, as you hear that, you see the voices, the laughter, it stops. And you see these figures staring down at you. And with the new, especially you, Cora, and, and, and all three of you, actually, with you being elder and even Eldrick having the cancer, you feel this, like, imbued again with, like, a sense of power that you haven't felt in forever. And you soon find yourself, like, stepping on people's faces and just, like, using their bodies to get out or digging your hands in dirt. You realize that you're, at this moment, that you're thrown in a pit that was, like, 20 feet deep that was dug. And it was about, like, 15 feet in circumference. And you find yourself, like, crawling out, like, inch by inch. And you see these people above you that are no longer laughing. And you can see them looking straight down you, cold and callous and not even looking, like, like, like the humanity you surrounded yourself with at this point. And eventually, as you get your way over and you get your waist over it, you, and you like fall up, like almost in the fetal position, Cora, you turn and you look and you see that there's other figures climbing out of this hole. And, and as you look down the hole, you realize that there's just bodies down there that aren't going to come back. And they're no longer part of the living and, and they almost look like they were destroyed or they're just even torn apart at times. But as you look around, and this includes you, Eldrick, and Mitchell, too. As you guys come upon the edge of this hole and you're sitting there and you're looking dazed, you see that there's about, like, if you were to guess, 20 to 30 people just like you that are sitting there. And as these figures that are standing take a step back, they're just looking upon you. Before you have a moment to even think about the situation you're in, you hear that booming voice again. And, and it says, children, look upon this hill. And as you guys turn around and look, you feel like you feel almost magnetized, drawn to this individual. To you, Eldrick, and to you, uh, Mitchell, this feels like when you were in military training, especially when you went through either your first like boot camp, uh, basic training boot camp, or you went through officer school, when you had that figure your first morning that you had to get up at 3.34 in the morning to go out and do exercises and physical therapy, and you had a figure standing on a podium talking down to you, it almost feels like that where like there was a lack of sleep, but you're so drawn to this person and you're expecting this person to give you the answers that you need to, 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 to graduate these military schools. You're feeling like that, 
with this, you realize that figure standing upon this hill is going to be the figure that's going to lead you to where you need to be. Cora, you feel almost like how you felt with your husband on your wedding night before you found out the way that he was, before you found out that he was an alcoholic animal that he was. When, when you were looking up above, when you were looking up at him, when you guys were taking your wedding bed and, and, and you saw him, you saw at that time a, a sense of someone who's going to protect you and take care of you your whole life, but someone who's going to love you, you feel like that looking upon this hill. So what is this hill? This hill is actually the dirt that was taken out to make this pit. And it was compacted. And there's actually torches that are kind of along this hill. And there's a figure standing on top. And behind this figure, as you look, you see a huge raging bonfire. That's probably like 30 yards above him. And you see him standing there. And you see shadows that are seem to be oddly swarming around his body as he speaks. But he see, he's majestic. And he has your total focus and attention drawn upon him. And he says, children. And he points to a distance. And as you guys look... You want to follow his hand. You feel like his hand's going to give you some kind of answer. You guys look and you realize at this moment that with this, the, the, this new canine blood, which you don't know obviously what a canine is at this time, you can see the stars are clear. You can see the desert out before you, but you can see we're like almost a mile away on a, almost a, like a, a, a gentle plateau. You can see like a hacienda, like a white uh, a building, and you can see like some light there. And you can tell that, they're, that they're, this is a residence and that there's people there. And he screams, children, look upon that. Those, there resides those that want to destroy you for the gift that you have just received. They are servants of demons and gods that want to feed you to their masters. He's like, they are slaves and they want to destroy you. But instead of giving them the opportunity to destroy you, go down upon them and rain upon them death and destruction and show them that you are the one that is controlling your fate. And then you see, as, as you guys are still looking, you see these shadows come up behind them and like they almost like take off towards that direction and you see the figure disappear. And then you see the voices behind you go, like, like they scream, they go, let's go. And they just start running. And you find yourself almost like an animal pack, like a pack of antelopes or buffalo or whatever that you've seen in your time. You see yourself following and you realize like you can hear the ground and you can hear like of like more than the 30 that came out, but also those that were around there, just feet just hitting the ground, dust coming up. And you find yourself like running like with this, like you haven't ran like this in, in forever. Like you feel like alive, more alive than you did when you were alive. And as you come across this, you're running this mile seems to the distance seems to shred like the flesh that was underneath you and above you in that pit. As you guys start, start coming, you're running through desert and you're stepping on, on tumbleweeds and, and just knocking over cactuses. Like do not phase you whatsoever. There are thorns and you're just like just burrowing mm -hmm. through. And like I said, you can feel like the, the, the reverberation, the, you can feel the vibrations of like of the, the steps happening and it brings out like the side of you that it almost feels free. Like, like in a way, like you're, you're not, you're not chained down at all by any of the things that changed you down before. And as you're, as you're rushing up, you, you get closer and closer to the Hacienda and you realize that there's a slight hill that goes up and it goes from desert to like finely manicured, like green grass that's taken care of. And, and up on top of this hill before you reach it, you can see there's like people that are outside and there's like a mariachi band that's playing and there's like servants that are in white and there's people that are like lingering around there. There's a fountain that has like an angel there with water that's being spurred out. And it, you guys just come up, boom, and you tear up 
on top, like oh, up above on this hill, and this this finely manicured grass is getting destroyed, and you guys come upon these people, and just like this that ravages side of you guys that came out, and you guys are almost like this especially you eldrick because like this is who the fuck you are man you know like these people are below you and like this is just you showing your dominance and you guys fall upon them like a wave of destruction and it's just like screaming and then and you hear like the mariachi band stop playing and you hear just like their instruments getting destroyed carnage and you're falling upon one person another and you catch jump upon another and soon you find when you're going upon someone else you're sliding a little bit on this marble concrete that's out there because there's so much blood and you're losing your footing and there's like bodies like someone in front of you one of the one of the group that came with you tackles someone and just falls in this in this con in this uh fountain and it's just, just like ripping their throat apart and you guys all as you guys hit upon this outdoor area you soon are quick to wipe it out, but you hear screams and you hear people fleeing inside. And you, as you guys see the people fleeing inside through these two wooden doors that are almost in an arch, they're like double doors. And there's two of them. You guys just rush in there, almost like termites going through a tunnel that they made. As you fall in there, you're grabbing and you're reaching. And it's almost like you're shoving aside people that came with you to get on these, to get, to get to them. But as this blood is, you start quenching your thirst with your blood, you start realizing that the tide, the wave that you guys were that hit this hacienda is slowly being pushed back. And, and there's a moment, and, and three of you were probably in this moment where there's about 10 of these Sabah members that are in this hallway just making their way forward. And there's a figure that comes running around a corner and he looks at you and he looks to be like Mexican and he but he has like these long claws that come out of him and his eyes are blind red and he leaps and there's a moment where Mitchell you're standing like holy shit you're taken aback but he, he leaps over you because you're in the middle of sliding on some blood that was on the hallway and he falls like on three people that came there with you and this is as you turn around you look you see all three just rolling around and savage you see the hand come up and it's slicing down but eventually you see he's overtaken and it's more of the stampede that came with you Fall upon, uh, fall upon it. Everything is intense to you guys. Your vision at this point is almost shaking. You feel warm blood that just like is sprayed across your face. There's a moment, a couple times, where you guys got to wipe the blood that's all out of your eyes because some gets on you. You're trying to get stabilities hard because you're sliding, but you keep clawing forward and you keep making your way. You guys soon like are split into smaller hall hallways as you're ripping doors open and you're finding people in there hiding and you're just go jumping upon them. But there's a moment with you, Cora, as you're going through a hallway, you see from your right like a huge figure just falls through a, a wall of the hacienda of this hallway and just drops on its side and it's looking at you and it's just this monstrosity. And, and you see that it has like limbs that are too long for it to be. And it has like a jaw that is like elongated, but you're looking at its chest and you see at its chest, there's like three like faces of children that you see on there and their mouths are silently moving as if they're trying to communicate they can't have vocal cords and you're actually in the middle of all this you fall on your knees and you start looking at it you feel this odd sense of connection with it like 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 you're one with it or you can understand it and you start realizing that there, there that, that there's some kind of special about this and and as you as you start touching one of the children's face that are embedded in his chest you see that all three of the eyes close and this beast stops breathing and then you leap on over and you continue with the carnage there's a time with Mitchell while you're running ahead and even with you, Eldrick, while you see figures begging 
At one point, Eldrick, you look at this figure begging and you feel empowered and you simply smile as you leap on it and you feel like you're taking its life. Eldrick, you're, you're sitting there and you do it and you wish that you could stop it, but at a point you realize that these are the enemy and that they're, they're the ones that are, are it's either them or you and you feel the survival instinct that you haven't felt for the last like 30 years since, since the Great War. So as you guys slowly start making it through these hallways and, and you don't even know how long time has gone by, you make it into this grand dining area and you see as you come around, everyone seems to like slow down. And, and, and like the, 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 the frantic movement ahead and attacking has seemed to like calm. And as you go through this door, you realize you see a figure standing there. And he looks to be maybe a Spanish descent, definitely not like Aztecian or Mexican. And he has a white tie on and he has a, he's a really nice like a, a maroonish tie, a white suit, excuse me, white shirt with a really nice maroonish tie. But the suit has like blood splattered on it and you see that there's three figures standing around him he's kind of like at the far wall and as you guys start coming in this dining area and it's really like 150 feet by 150 feet it's rather large like the whole large banquets you start realizing that the numbers that you had that you felt the strength in numbers you're not quite feeling at this moment because you realize that there's only a, probably about 10 to 15 of you left and you never, you, you weren't realizing at this time in your own personal journey through this that people were getting destroyed that, that were coming with you. You see this figure standing there and you see this, he's almost start trying to talk to you in a way, uh, almost trying to convince you. And, and, you, and, you, and you find like at first, like not quite you three because you're coming in the room later, but you see the people who were in there before you seem to be falling under its sway. But at that moment, right when you start feeling almost like, like this man's worth listening to, a shadow comes up from behind him and just wraps. It's thick. It's almost like, like two feet in diameter wraps around his head and his upper body. And generally you see it almost like contract. And then it just fucking, you see like, like the top third of his body just is ripped off of him and it just falls to the ground and slowly starts becoming ash. At that moment, you see the three figures who you smell and you can hear the heartbeat as mortal. Look at it in panic and turn around and look at it. You guys left in the room, and you all just fall upon them, just those three figures, and start ripping at them. So everything at this moment starts slowing down, and this, like a phase, this, 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 this feeling and this experience, it's almost like coming down from something, and you slowly start realizing, like, like this is different. That 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 you really don't, you're not quite sure how to interpret what happened. Maybe you, Eldrick, a little bit, but definitely not you, Cora, and Mitchell at the time, don't know how to interpret this. But before that can be done, as you're standing in this room, you see uh, the figure come walking through that was on top of the hilltop. And he comes walking towards you guys. He's a man, he's wearing blue jeans, and he has like a country western shirt on. And it looks like maybe that he could be a mixture between a Native American tribe of some sort and white. He has a longer uh, hair to about the back of his neck. Uh, he's wearing a cowboy hat has some like cowboy boots on and you see him walking towards you three and a, and a, and a group of three others and almost like six of you guys. And you, and this is the figure that had enraptured you so much that had drawn you and led you, but you're looking at him now and you're not getting that sense that you got from before of like majesticness or, or of him being a figure that could give you the answers. Now you're still in awe of him because you look at him and you realize that he's very pale for uh, of what his, what his, his skin color and complexion should be, but he tells you 
like, please follow me just come with me. And you kind of feel like a little remnants of that. Maybe he might lead you in the right direction to where you guys go outside with him, and he, and he tells you to follow. And it almost starts at this point feeling like spiritual with them. Like you, you're walking in the desert, following this guy behind you, uh, like with no light, but the moon and the stars. And really at this moment, being away from the carnage that happened, being away from everything that happened before, you start really, you start realizing what you have been given, where you can hear like the animals in the desert and you can hear stuff that you normally couldn't hear, the insects, the small beasts that live there. You, you can feel the breeze even more. You can look up the stars and the stars are just totally fucking amazing at that time when you're walking and you're following them. And, and the moon almost feels like brighter and, and, and it reveals more than it ever revealed to you. And you guys are slowly walking in the desert for, for you don't even know how long. And, and, and out, of, out of game, it's like for a few hours. But you just keep following this man and following this man until you come upon like an almost where the desert starts to fade away. And you come upon like a riverbed in a way where there's a black, where there's a black river that comes through it that you see there. So as you come upon this riverbank, he tells you guys to sit and he's, and he's like, this is for you to, this is for you and not for me. And he turns around and he walks off into the desert again. And you can't quite see him, but at the time, as you guys are looking at this river, you notice that especially you, Mitchell and Kara, because you guys are, are dealt with outdoors, you know, your whole life, you realize there should be like some kind of reflection of the moon or some kind of light, but you really don't see that. It's just pure blackness. And at this point, Mitchell, you feel like a, a affinity, you feel connection to it. Like, this is weird. This is a moment where you're like, you feel and like, yeah, lack of a better term, connected with it. Like, 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 like this belongs and you belong with it. And as you're standing, you guys are standing there. You notice that this black, as the river goes by and it's staying black, you notice in the middle almost the, the, the blackness starts to well up a little bit. And as it wells up, you see a figure starting to slowly be formed. And it's a silhouette of a man. And as this figure starts walking towards you guys on the bank, you don't feel threatened, though, especially you, Mitchell. You feel like that. You feel like welcoming with this. And so this figure slowly starts walking towards the bank of the river. And as it gets to the river, the shadows, almost like oil, start sliding off of him. And the figure is about six foot two, very Nordic looking in nature, very pale. He's at this time completely naked. The side of his head, head are both shaved. He has shorter hair on top, but he has a longer beard that is blonde that comes down. You see on his face and on the side of his heads and even all over his torsos, you see like old runic tattoos that Eldrick, you're probably the, you said you have academics, right? Yeah. Academics and uh, occult. You, you recognize academics wise that this is, these are pagan, somewhat pagan symbols, but you're not like quite, you know what I mean? Familiar with what they are, but you can tell that they're definitely pagan. And he's sitting, he's standing there and he's looking at you six. You notice oddly with, as he's standing there, you feel a warmth coming up from behind you guys and you start hearing a crackle of a fire. And as you guys turn around, look at you, you see the figure who led you here is starting, starting to try to start a bonfire. And when you turn around and look back at this figure that's standing in front of you, you can see his eyes are very sharp blue, but you notice that like there's blackness that comes and rolls at different shapes of his eyes. So you have his eyes here, right? The whites and the, the, the rear piercing blue, but at random times they'll become 
pitch black and then it'll fade and it'll go back and then it'll come in almost like a spider web, you know, spider web effect at times. And you also start noticing that the, the ruin, ta- the tattoos of the ruins that he has on him will slightly move. And you're starting to like, it took you a little bit to notice, but you see like they move a little bit, they'll stop or they might move a little bit. After the fire start in this figure, and this figure is also very, lack of a better term, scary. This is like an apex predator to you guys. You look at it and, and you, you sense there's nothing human about this. This man is, is still, he doesn't blink. He's simply just there looking upon you. And eventually the figure who starts the fire comes up to him and brings a robe. The robe is just a simple brown robe, uh, nothing fancy, nothing inscribed. And the figure slides the robe over. It's uh, naked, almost like a shell, because you got a feeling that, that this body is, is actually hiding something within that is so much more than you thought could be capably be held in a body at this time. So this figure sits down in front of you. And at this moment, you realize this figure goes from a weird, almost apex predator god to an instant peer and mentor. You don't feel threatened. But uh, out of character, by the way, all that use of on the hill, that's obviously presence that was being used. He's not using that on you guys here. He's simply just sitting here as you guys sit in a circle with him almost at the head of the circle. First, he tells you, and you guys already all know, about what you are. He says that you're Cainites. He says that the, that the story of Cain, which we're not, I'm not going to go through because everyone watching and you guys, I take it all familiar, right? You're pretty familiar. So yes. uh, it tells you the whole yeah. story of Cain and tells you about how they're founded and 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 he starts then t- starts talking about humanity and how humanity while he appreciates what they give upon your type and you, you, when you hear him talk he almost talks in a fa- almost and I don't want to say in the hippie loving nature kind of way but he pretty much says that like they are our sustenance they are our food but for us to even pretend that we are like that anymore is foolishness you know what what, what rancher you know like what man who tends a flock pretends to be part of that flock to guide in the right direction. So he, tr- he tries to give you parables in that and to, and, to, and to understand that you guys are above humanity now. He tells you about his, his story. He says about how when he was in Bra- uh, or excuse me, that he was a warrior in Scandinavia, that he was a Viking and that his sire first came upon him in the form of a, of a, a, a Christian Catholic missionary and came upon him, but instead gave him the dark gift of blood, making him his ghoul and his servant. And for how 300 years he was a slave to this man and how this man broke him of his, his pagan beliefs and taught him the form of Christianity, but also while breaking him down and building him up, made him perform and made him, made him uh, do atrocities and, and things that are against his nature. But how he's thankful that that man showed him what he was and eventually gave him the dark gift but he tells you, though, when he did receive the gift of Cain, him with others of his brethren uh, eventually revolted. Soon he diabolized his sire, taking his soul and his essence because he was too weak to hold on to it. He talks about the Antediluvians, and he says about how what you guys did there was purge servants of the Antediluvians and how the Antediluvians are ones that want to come upon and awaken and feast on us and want to use us as if we were the cattle. I want to take this gift away from us. And it is our duty as Sabbat to to stop them and to find them and destroy them and destroy any elders and also though getting closer to Cain when we can and finding any way that we can get closer to Cain and he explains to you the concept of the sword of Cain and that's what the sabbat is but he tells you though within the sabbat 
they have their own issues too. And for one thing, for all the, the, the displeasure and the grudges he holds against the sire for what he put him through, he is thankful for his sire and especially for absorbing his sire's essence because he learned that the Sabbat is plagued with infernalism, that is plagued with deals with agents that are much beyond our understanding and our need and how for the foolishness that his sire believed in, that his, his concept of Christianity and his concept of Lucifer and Satan are true and how this group that the Sabbat that was created and formed for total freedom and to also keep the, the antediluvians at bay needs to be monitored and needs to be purged. He talks about the, how he's going to show you for, he's going to mentor you and show you the ways of the Sabbat and how he's going to show you what will need to be done to keep the Sabbat on the right path. And he says, while some of you may scream about freedom and you may hear others scream about freedom, that total freedom would be total annihilation if that was the case. While our sect and our group depends on freedom, we also need to be coordinated to stop the, the devils and, and, the, and those antediluvians and the elders that control their kind and their slaves and the ones that want to imprison us and, 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 and to, to, to take our souls and feed off of us. And that is where the narrative uh, leads off. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called Weight Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. High Level Games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. <laughs>